Thank you for listening to Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Buffalo What's Next is on summer break and we'll return with new content shortly. As we take this break, please continue to tune in to WBFO Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. and 9 p.m. for producer picks of some of our favorite episodes of Buffalo What's Next. How can we afford not to talk about race? About education. About segregation. About humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. On today's episode of Buffalo What's Next, Summertime Producer Picks, we highlight two segments from previous shows. Jay Moran at Thomason & White speaks to Executive Director at West New York Peace Center, Deidre ML. The three discuss the health of the East Side and its future from August 18th of last year. Then, Jay Moran talks to parent and writer Taria Parsonen about the science of reading and the poor literacy rates in Buffalo and throughout New York from June 29th of last year. First, Jay Moran and Thomas Sunil White with Executive Director at Western New York Peace Center, Deidre ML, from August 18th of last year. Yeah, great to have everybody with us as well here. And uh, Deidre, I know one of the things that the, uh, the Peace Center has been doing uh, since May 14th, these healing sessions that you've had. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about the genesis of them, and then maybe we'll get into just the idea about the community healing and where it might stand right now. But talk a little bit more about these healing sessions that you guys have hosted. Okay, well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, the sessions have been our our call Embracing Buffalo. Um, myself, along with a few other wonderful women, uh, Dr. Sabrina Njai, uh, Dr. Carol Penn, um, uh, Dina Adler, um, uh uh, Kathleen Heim uh, from UB, a uh, School of Social Work, um, and uh, Vicki Ross, of course, our uh, board chair of the Western New York Peace Center, uh, all came together um, to discuss uh, what's next, right? Like that. Um, after all the, uh, you know, all the hoopla of the, you know, of channels, you know, different channels coming out, and, you know, people still have to continue to heal. Um, in different ways. Uh, there are many people that uh, were without and still without mental health services um, or don't, don't have as much support to even pay for mental health services. And so um, we at the Peace Center understand that um, that justice and peace starts from within. And uh, Dr. Sabrina uh, uh, came to us and said, hey, you know, she is let me give you a little bit of background about her. Sure. Um, I think I have a little bit of a note. But, you know, so she is a licensed social worker. She's a, a, a black healer and psychotherapist in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, and she comes, she's been coming to Buffalo for the last 10 years, I believe, um, as a, a visiting professor at the UB School of um, Social Work. Um, uh, continuing education program. So, uh, so she knew Vicky. She knew Kathleen, and said, "Hey, you know, I really love Buffalo, and I want to help. Um, how can I do that? How can I reach, you know, the citizens of Buffalo?" How important is it? You mentioned that uh, to have a black person reaching out for mental health mm-hmm. issues 
to a counselor that looks like them? I mean, I, I think we've touched upon that, but maybe if you can expand. Right. Um, I think, you know, to, for healing to happen, trust has to happen first in whatever circle it is. Um, and you have to build trust um, by first getting to know a person, they them getting to know you, and them being uh, being able to relate to you. Um, sometimes it's you know uh, it starts with skin color, you know it is what it is, um, or ethnicity. But then after that, how else can we relate to one another? Do our experiences um, can can you relate to my experience? Um, as a black woman or a black man, can you relate to, you know, our experiences living in a, 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 a poverty stricken community or what have you? Um, so I think it's 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 about that. It's about trust. Healing since May 14th. It's probably different for a lot of different people. But can you give a general sense of what you understand about where the community is right now? Well, if, I, if anybody knows about healing, it's a process and it doesn't happen. It's not a miracle. Like I've, I was always told that miracles and healing are two different things. Miracles happen overnight, right? It's just, you know, something, you know, it wasn't there. Now it's there. But healing is a full process and a, a wave of events and um, enlightenments, I would say, um, for the body, mind and the, and the spirit. So for the for the African American community that um, that's on the east side of Buffalo, which is a part of my communities, um, I would say that it is happening, um, but in some areas and other areas, uh, not so much. Um, some people are feeling forgotten. Um, some people are feeling invisible. Um, not just feeling that they you know they haven't been, you know, been put out out in the forefront. Um, and, and so what we attempt to do is to reach still, you know, those people, you know, in the, in the trenches to reach, you know, this, uh, Embracing Buffalo really try to connect to, um, the foot soldiers, I call them the ones who've been on the ground, first responders Mm -hmm. that not just responded the first day, but has been responding each day and every day and today, um, I'm not a part of one of those foot soldiers. You know, I believe, you know, the what's, the Peace Center has its own part, um, but I haven't, you know, we support Pastor Giles and um, the Buffalo Peacemakers and Fathers and MVP and, you know, all those wonderful organizations that have been on the ground, the Resource, you know, Council of Western New York, you know, so um, it's our job uh, to, to give that, to give support. So with these circles, healing circles, um, the first one was for first responders, you know, so the nurses of um, uh, Urban League and, and, and those who are outreaching um, right on Jefferson and Utica came to those sessions at the uh, Meriwether Library um, and spoke about their, you know, you know, what they're going through and, and just being able to release you know, all the um, the energy and the emotions they have received from people and trying to help people, that was a space for them to heal so they have more to give. It's interesting to, to mention about peacemakers because, and you know, Reverend Giles and mm-hmm. the many, many other people who have been really at the forefront of yes. all this, it's almost kind of lost maybe to a certain extent how important their role has been to 
really try to keep the peace, for lack of a better mm-hmm. better term, right? I mean, there, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about people hurting and being afraid. There's obviously anger as well underneath all of it. Oh yes. And these individuals have been out there trying to make sure that that stays at a minimum. And I would have to say, to this point, have done an incredible job. But the pressure mm-hmm. must really be difficult for them. Yes, um, I, I believe it is, and. Um, I think some people individually are searching for, are, are getting some of the help they need. Um, I know it's a, it's common in the, in the African-American community that we don't need mental health, you know, counseling, you know, we don't need a therapist, you know, and usually it's not necessarily the therapy or the therapist. It's, I don't need to talk to another white person to tell me what's wrong with me. And with that therapy, uh, you're a dancer. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about, uh, embodyology. What does that mean? How how is it applied? Okay, so uh, now that in uh, embracing Buffalo, this first uh, wave of uh, healing circles are completed, we in I'm hoping in the mid September to October, uh, for four weeks, we'll be doing a series on embodyology. So what is that? It is a term that was created by Doctor uh, African American dancer and educator, uh, Dr. Ama Ray. And um, this methodology is based on West African principles of human communications. Um, It deals with breath, uh, uh, breath work, rhythmic movement, music concepts that have shown efficiency in elevating the vitality and well-being of resilience and creativity. So what does all that mean? We're using movement to help to release the stress and the trauma um, of after 514. And not just after 514, but we have 400 years of DNA trauma that we have to start to release from our genes and and from our cells so that we can truly be whole as a community. You know, so this, this thing that has happened, um, this massacre that has happened, um, was more so, what do you call it, uh, just more of a, a, um, a outbreak of the disease of racism, of right. the disease of, of classism. You know, it's just an outbreak. So, you know, we're just, people are putting bandages on mm-hmm. this outbreak. It's, it's, a, it's a symptom to yes. a larger problem. Yes, it is. Yeah. So we're going to use movement just to help deal with the individual from within so that that person and not only that person, but the community at large can begin to continue to fight for justice so we can truly have peace. We have to take a short break. We'll be right back with more Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. It's one thing to love public media, but it's a special thing to support it. Consider this. If you've got a car you don't need anymore, or you've got one that's simply too expensive to repair, Arrange to donate it to Buffalo Toronto Public Media. It's easy for you, pickup is free, and it could be worth hundreds of dollars in support. Here's how to get started. Go to WNED.org slash vehicles. Hey, is this thing on? Test, test, one, two. Sounds great, let's go. The podcast world is overflowing with more than 750,000 podcasts to choose from. But for great local podcasts, you can now go to one place, the new Amplify BTPM Pods app. 
Here you can discover content produced in Western New York and Southern Ontario, our own backyard. With a wide variety of genres to choose from, there is something for everyone. Listen to the best independently produced podcast in the region anywhere, anytime. Download the free Amplify BTPM Pods app wherever you get your apps and begin exploring your local podcast community now. Check out the Our Town series produced by WNED PBS, but captured by community members on the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel. Ellicottville is a town of variety, not only in what they have to offer, but the people. The Burlington community is uh, becoming increasingly multicultural, and the library is reflecting that. The parks and playgrounds have been what makes the town of Tonawanda a great place to grow up. The series began in 2003, but it's making its debut on YouTube now. Although some of the businesses and people may have changed over the years, the spirit of these wonderful towns remain the same. We just didn't realize what we had in our own backyard. We need the next generation to protect it and carry on. Learn about Jamestown, Burlington, Welland, East Aurora, and more than a dozen other beautiful communities in our region by watching the Our Town series now on YouTube. I, w I would live there. <laughs> this is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. Our guest this morning on Buffalo What's Next, Deidre ML. Executive Director of the Western New York Peace Center, um, talking about a lot of different issues here uh, for sure this morning. I know that you're in the process now, the uh, Embrace Buffalo, mm -hmm. that those sessions are, are behind us right now, but mm -hmm. there are you're, you're trying to build up newer ones as well. Yes. Uh, healing, like you said, is different for everybody. You know, how is this, I guess, going to be an ongoing thing from the Peace Center to we're going to do this as long as we have to. Yeah, I think in um, in different sessions at different times, because, you know, the Peace Center is, is, I would say, probably more so known for our protests, right, and our rallies and, um, and our advocacy. And, yes, that is what we will continue to do. But at the same time, uh, we have to also take uh, times to be still times to um, to come together and recreate. So those times are not always going to be shown out in public, right? But we know that doing that inner work, that truly inner work of, of, of helping that person to deal with racism from within, to deal with community, you know, communities, microcosms of communities, to help them deal with those um, uh, 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 injustices will help us deal with the larger issues at hand to help us deal with the systemic um, issues at hand. Um, so we're not forgetting one to do another, but we understand it's a, um, it's a, mar um, a, a larger picture and it's a circle, you know, of healing. When it comes to that healing process, can you share what you've either heard or experienced from others when it comes to that, where they're at, what, I mean, I think mm -hmm. to like the first couple of weeks after hearing about people still wouldn't come out of their houses. Right. You know, and it's, that's stunning, but totally understandable. Mm -hmm. But that, but that's got to still be hovering over a lot of people right now. 
There are people to this day that can't even just go to a grocery store. Um, when, when that day, when, on 514, I received a text, you know, that this was in the news. And it wasn't in our Buffalo news yet. It was just on Internet news. I called my mother. Why? Because she lives five minutes away from Tops. She shops at that top, Tops every Saturday. I go to that Tops for her to do grocery shopping. My son has gone to that Tops as he visits uh, the Meriwether Library. Um, I had to call her to make sure she was home, that she was okay. So um, I would say for me, I still went to the grocery store the day after. I didn't go to Tops, A Tops, any Tops. You know, I went to the grocery store. I went to the grocery store a day after that. But I tell you, a week later, when I'm talking to my mother on the phone and she says, Deidre, um, be observant. I was in the middle of another grocery store and a, a fear, a fear fell over me that I never felt before after the event or any time to start to look at each and every person that walked in that store. And I would say the store is a majority of probably, you know, you know, cocaine, you know, Caucasian, you know, people, you know, go to the store, you know, it's, uh, so my question to myself was, should I feel safe because I'm in a mixed crowd, you know, would someone else get upset with another group or with, you know, white people and want to do something to this store? And I just happened to be a bystander because someone's upset with them. I started thinking about, you know, why are people people being patted down (laughs) coming into the store? You know, like where's the extra security guards? Mm. I had a fear, you know, and it it was, uh, it was for that. I would say that hour while I was in the grocery store, I had my heart started, but I didn't have that feeling right away. But I, I, I knew what she said was true. It, you should always be observant, but it was, I have always felt safe in those spaces until after then. So even though I wasn't there, you know, I live on the West side. However, I grew up, parts of my, my childhood has been literally on Jefferson and Utica. And I have taught children even recently as the spring, right before the event, actually, um, our Peace Jam program was at the Meriwether Library. So we had children that we will walk the neighborhood and we'll talk about, you know, issues. And so that's just as, you know, like I work in that neighborhood, you know, I connect to that, to that neighborhood. So, yeah, um, I think it affects everybody a little bit differently. For me, I had to really ask myself, like, you know, am I, you know, how much is this affecting me? You know, and how can I help somebody else? And I was actually just going to ask you with all with all this work that you've been doing, you know, um, pushing out this outward positivity. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you how you were doing. Does that does that feeling still persist of walking into 
a grocery store and, and looking around and making sure you're okay? Um, yeah, I'm more observant. Yes. But, you know, these, these sessions, even though we, you know, help, you know, to sponsor, co-sponsor, it was for me. You know, I say, you know what, I can tell other people, you know, what's going on. I can encourage because each day was for different, you know, we focused on different groups. Um, one, you know, one on first responders, one on the victims of, uh, of 514 and their families, you know, one on black leaders, you know, that have been, you know, helping, you know, in the community. And I say, you know what, I can spread the word. I can try to encourage my, you know, my counterparts and my peers to come. But this is for me. I need this. I need to sit in a circle and let just let, you know, things out. I need to move and I need to um, be heard and not judged. And that's what those circles help to do. It created safe spaces for people to just let it all out, what they were feeling. Some people were still angry, really angry. Some people were hurt. Some people say, you know, you know, justice is not it's not we don't have justice yet for this situation, let alone the bigger picture, you know. And how do you manage all those different emotions from different people? You know, you go back to what you're being taught in the circles is this breath work. You know, deep breathing. Why? Because that slows the heart rate that gives oxygen to the to the brain, which helps you to. Um, it gives blood flowing in the brain so that you can think, um, uh, that you can think better and you think, what do you call it? Logically, you know, um, we can't make decisions off of our emotions, right? Emotions come and go. Um, but we can make decisions off of, you know, off of thinking and being mindful about our next actions. So taking in all these other emotions, I want them, I'm Okay. You know, um, I have I feel like I have compassion. I can feel and I feel better that I can be there just to help them through whatever they're sharing and saying, it's okay for you to share that. I'm not mad at you and I'm not judging you for saying whatever you want to say in this circle. You are safe in this circle. And that's why, like um, other uh, news reporters and so on, wasn't able to sit in on the circles to you know, evaluate or to tape anything because we wanted to make it a safe space. That was very important. Our guest this morning uh, for a few more minutes is uh, Deidre ML, Executive Director of the Western New York uh, Peace Center. Um, reflecting a little bit on history here, mm-hmm. the, the Peace Center had organized a march for May 15th, obviously long before what you knew yes. was going on on May 14th. And all the activity that happened right after that, I, 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 I kind of have all a lot of those events uh, kind of mixed together. Mm. Tell us about what you saw that day. On May 15th? Yes. <sighs> so um, there was a big question. Should we still do the march? The march was on victory, mm. healing, and solidarity. And I said, yes, we're still going forth because this is why we march. And we are so used to as a nation, as a, you know, just society to be reactionaries. And 
we know that we are consistently dealing with injustice every day, right? So therefore, you know, we've been planning the marches since I believe 2017, um, since, you know, like Trump came in office and so on. So that is, so even though we didn't do it in January, because it's just too cold to do that in Buffalo. <laughs> I'm just sorry. The first, the first year or two was great, you know. But I said, you know, the last couple of years was terrible. You know, we had windstorms and, you know, just it was just terrible in January and March. So I said, you know what? We're going to do it in May. It's Victorious Women's Month. And um, we are going to celebrate our victory. And we're going to continue to encourage women and families to continue to the fight. So, um, so it was just a, a really a sense of, oh my gosh, that's just, this just happened. Okay. Let's come together. We already come together. Let's truly march for our life. Right. Let's, and this was by, uh, we marched to on uh, Niagara street to Broderick park. Broderick park is such a significant space for African-American community and, you know, for, for freedom, at, you know, for for anyone as well, because at that park, at that uh, that place, it was the crossing from uh, being enslaved to being free. You know, from Buffalo to Canada, especially after the slave codes, right? So this was a space where people got on the ferry boat and crossed the river to freedom. Um. You know, we have ceremonies in my office, you know, every every uh, year to acknowledge, you know, this time and space. So what more perfect space to start our transition into healing and empowerment but Broderick Park? So this was a space where we had uh, uh, African drumming and dancing. We had in, in the indigenous um a women and sisters um, uh, doing the guñonio and giving thanks for our land and and so on. We had people speaking out, you know, against injustice and speaking about how they feel about what just happened. This was a space that we could let it out and be in a safe environment and be amongst community to support one another. Wow, <laughs> you've left me <laughs> speechless, which is very difficult. Uh, to do. Uh, we're down to our, our last minute, uh, Deidre. Just, uh, we obviously didn't touch upon a lot of the things that you have going on at the Peace Center, but in, for the future, the immediate future, is the focus more here at home issues rather than maybe some of the larger issues that the Peace Center has been delving into over recent years? Well, both. Um, and that's this is why our task forces are so important. We still, um, we don't have as many task forces right now. We are um, uh, uh, changing some of our structure. However, um, our Latin American Solidarity Committee has been, you know, full force in uh, supporting Cuba and Latin America and all the um, situations and, you know, and issues happening there. Um, and we we also are continue to support Afghanistan and um, and, you know, so many places in the Middle East and so on. So our task forces um, um, are still re doing the outreach for our, the world community. Um, our Immigrant Refugee Task Force um, is still uh, continuing to help, you know, in those areas in, in the city of Buffalo. That was Jay Moran and Thomas O'Neill White with Deidre ML from August 18th of last year. We'll be right back with more Buffalo What's Next right here on WBFO. 
The warrior tradition tells the inspiring, heartbreaking, and largely untold story of Native Americans in the U.S. military. Why would indigenous men and women put their lives on the line for the very government that took their homelands? A lot of people ask, why did you join the white man's war? This is our home. This has always been our home. And part of the commitment to protecting and defending your home led to military service. Hear stories of service and pain, of courage and fear in the warrior tradition, now streaming on YouTube. I'm Kraus Schallhorn with Mindful Music. Join me for thoughtful and in-depth conversation with my many different guests from around the region and the world as they discuss how music helps and heals in times of stress and everyday life. Listen to Mindful Music Saturdays at 4 p.m. right here on WBFO, your NPR station. WNED Classical has been conducting interviews of their own on YouTube with the classical music community. Have you ever wondered what goes into the performances you hear on WNED Classical? Head on over to our Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube page to see the collection of interviews that we've orchestrated. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. This is Buffalo What's Next where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And we end the show today with Jay Moran speaking with Taria Parsonen from June 29th of last year. And we continue on Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran, joined by Taria Parsonen. She is the founder of the Western New York Education Alliance. We have a lot to talk about today. Uh, Taria, thanks for coming in. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, great to have you. Of course, uh, we have, are talking a lot about the city of Buffalo and uh, impacted neighborhoods that have been dealing with poverty issues uh, uh, for decades here in Buffalo, for sure. One of the biggest issues for uh, the people of Buffalo, of course, has been education, and the results have not been great, for sure. So we're going to talk a little bit about the science of reading, something that you are a big proponent of, for sure. But let's talk about uh, proficiency when it comes to reading uh, statewide and then here in the city of Buffalo. Absolutely. Well, my organization is focused on improving educational outcomes for students in Western New York, and we really felt that we had to start at the very beginning, which is literacy, which is, of course, the building block for all future success for students. And as we started diving into the research, we saw that statewide, you know, whether you're going by the NAEP scores or the education, the state education scores, they're under 50 percent. They're 34 to you know, 44%, which is... That's statewide. It's statewide. And, you know, if you look at Buffalo Public Schools, which in 2019, according to the State Ed Department, is 24.7% reading proficiency, you know, I think we have to come to a collective starting point of that is not acceptable. And what can we do to change this? I think everyone would agree with that. It's not acceptable for sure. When it comes to not being literate, what can be or not being having a great mastery of being able to read, what can be the outcomes of that? I mean, I know that this almost seems cliche to a certain extent, but at the same time, we should really be specific here. Absolutely. Being functionally illiterate really affects 
all aspects of life. And it's something that the city of Buffalo struggles with in terms of its functionally illiterate population. And, you know, um, also in other regions and um, districts as well. And, you know, it affects, you know, your simple ability to uh, go to the bank, to open a bank account, to do things online if you have to check yourself into a hospital, um, if you have to help your student, if you have to communicate with your teacher or um, anything. It, it affects every aspect of your life. Um, and so by simply uh, improving reading proficiency scores, we are improving life outcomes. 17.5% struggle with functional literacy in Buffalo and Niagara. That's and just to put that into a little more of a broad number, 147,000 people here, Buffalo and Niagara, basically what we like to call the Niagara Frontier or Western New York, uh, are struggling with literacy for sure. We want to talk about finding new ways, ways to change this. The science of reading. What do you mean by the science of reading? Well, I came to this, like I was saying, through through research. And as I was looking about how to how to make change with regards to literacy, it came down to the way that thing the way that New York State is doing things now, which is called balanced literacy. That's what the majority of school districts are doing. And um, and the science of reading, which is really instruction and curriculum that is aligned with science or with evidence, you know, based research. And um if you look at other states, you know, there are multiple other states, 20 other states that are doing this, that are legislatively taking action supported by governor. Um, Mississippi, for instance, has years of data to support what they've been doing. Um, but for some reason, New York State, you know, for whatever reason, is is not fully embracing this. And as we started diving into this and teachers started coming to us, we realized that teachers in the area were doing this on their own, um, researching uh, the best ways that were science aligned to teach kids. They're doing it on their own. They didn't know what other teachers were doing. They didn't know what other districts were doing. And they wanted to have that greater conversation. And this is how the idea for a literacy conference came to be, which is what all of the partners in the initiative uh, will be hosting in October so that we can really gather our educators to talk about the best ways to improve reading outcomes. Um, Let's talk about the conference for just a second here, because I know you wanted to get into that just a little bit. Uh, You have these partners. Let's talk about your partners uh, just a little bit here in Western New York, specifically there rather than maybe on national groups. Absolutely. We have, I believe, the number is now 14 groups. They are amazing. And um, forgive me if I don't mention everyone, but sure. we have Say Yes Buffalo, Read to Succeed Buffalo. We have Ed Trust New York. We have We the Parents. Um, we have so many amazing people, the After School Network of Western New York. Um, and each of these organizations is working with children and families and adults, whether it's with student literacy, whether it's with adult literacy, whether it's with pre-K or aftercare programs. Everyone is touching children in some way with regards to literacy, and they all want to make sure they're doing it in the right way, in the most efficient way. It's interesting. Uh, there's an article in the Buffalo News. I want to give the credit to the uh, the author, Barbara O'Brien, who's a longtime uh, reporter, of course, of the Buffalo News, it's talking about your initiative. And she focused, uh, brought the, the article into a, a little bit of a, a personal focus in the sense that she focused on this Akron teacher, teacher in the Akron district. Talk about her and the methods that she's using and she 
believe she's finding success with. Absolutely. So Janine Detine is the teacher in Akron, and I know this because she, uh, I've talked with her about what she's been doing and uh, and learning from her, and it's really fantastic. They have a science of reading book club at the school filled with teachers who want to know more. They are getting together and talking and dissecting um, podcasts on the science of reading, and they are supported by their leaders and by their administration. And what they're doing, what the science of reading really is, just to go back to that question that I know you brought up, but it is basically science of reading is not a curriculum. It's not a fad. It's not a movement. It's not something that's here today, gone tomorrow. It's based on five decades of accepted research, grounded research, um, basically on how the brain learns to read. And I didn't realize this when I started, but to when you learn to read, you have to activate all four parts of the brain. You have to activate the neural pathways. And you can best activate these pathways in grades K through three. That's when you do it. And that's why everyone says that you have to teach kids to read by third grade. What happens after third grade is that those neural pathways harden and become harder to work with. But, it, you know, it's not to say that it can't be done sure. and that we can't work with, of course, with our middle schoolers and high schoolers. Of course, we do that. But, of course, the best time is K through three. And so what they're doing with in Akron and, of course, in other schools as well. These schools are all doing um, their own pieces of work, but they are teaching directly and explicitly in terms of decoding, in terms of phonics. You know, there's something in literacy called Scarborough's Rope. And, um, you know, the general public probably doesn't know this, but there are so many different strands woven into being a skilled reader, right? So it's language comprehension, it's decoding, it's, um, it's word comprehension, it's background knowledge. There are so many. And what they're doing is they have to weave this in. You know, we talk about it being a science. You have to activate the neural pathways, but it's also an art, too. You okay. know, So you have to—the teachers are, are doing this incredibly difficult work every day um, using the science to um, weave these strands together to create skilled readers. It's really amazing. How does a teacher know that it's being impactful? I mean, you know, we can look down the road and say, oh, my— I'm, I'm a kindergarten teacher, and now they're in third grade, and they've got these great uh, uh, English language arts scores. But uh, how does a teacher know that they're making this, this science connect? Yes. Well, schools have benchmark assessments. And this sort of goes to a greater data problem that I think we have. <clears throat> Excuse me. We, the public has access to two forms of data, which is NYSED, the state data, and NAEP, N-A-E-P, their data. Okay, but we don't have access to the school's data. And the school is monitoring and checking these kids with benchmark assessments all the time so that they can react to and help these kids in real life time, you know, which is fantastic. But again, we don't know what's going on. Fortunately, the teachers know what's going on. And when they do assessments on these kids, they're seeing the results or lack thereof. And according to Janine, this teacher in Akron, you know, apparently the results that they've been having in Akron have been great. Um, One in six are... Dyslexic. Correct. That is a stunning statistic. How, I I think, again, back to testing, I think it's one thing that's most certainly better than it was, let's say, when I was in school working with uh, chalk and slate. Uh, But um, one in six are dyslexic. So this is something, has nothing to do with personality, doesn't have to do with uh, cultural elements. It's a it's a, a, a neurological uh, correct, issue? Correct, correct. Yeah. It has nothing to do with intelligence or how well you do in school or how well you can do in school. Um, it's uh, difficulty with reading and decoding and putting words together, right? And I was stunned when I started doing the research on this and saw how prevalent it was 
one in six, right? And you and I were talking about this before the show. But if we look at testing, <clears throat> and we're just, um, you know, emerging from, you know, the age of all the COVID tests and, and how prevalent we've been doing that. If we actually did universal kindergarten testing for dyslexia, it would have monumental change for life outcomes. It would be stunning. And states are doing this, I believe. Oregon just started implementing this legislatively, statewide universal kindergarten screening for dyslexia. And then you know right away if that kid can get help. If I could um, state some crazy statistics to you for a second, 50% of incarcerated people are functionally illiterate due to dyslexia. Okay, so if we're looking at the school to prison pipeline, you know, which is frequently called the dyslexia to prison pipeline, and then 30 more percent of that number are underliterate due to poor instruction. So, right, if you take those struggling readers who are not helped, right, and and you look at them going straight to prison, essentially, 40 percent of homeless people are functionally illiterate due to dyslexia. You know, that's amazing. Sixty six percent of kids cannot read on grade level in eighth grade. And $2.2 trillion is lost due to illiteracy, um, which when I first learned about this, it, it boggled the mind. But I also knew that there was a way. There was something we can do about this. And in New York State, we do have, I believe it's it's just now happening, a dyslexia task force. Um, it's being worked on by Assemblyman Robert C. Carroll and others. But to be honest, I can't believe we're still in the task force stage of this. There, for me and for so many other education advocates, there is an urgency to helping our children and especially an urgency of literacy and you know, we need to identify dyslexic kids now. And I know that that's what they're starting to do in New York City. So they're setting a great example. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next. More to come right after this on WBFO. Buffalo is home to many historical treasures, including architectural gems. Central Terminal affected everybody. Everybody from the common man to the movie star walked this concourse. Beloved community establishments. They might get a glimpse to see Lena Horne. Uh, They might uh, see Dizzy or Miles Davis, uh, you know, Charlie Parker. And homes for local sports teams. When we talk about an institution, Memorial Auditorium was an institution. The WNED PBS original production, Remembering Western New York, explores some of these iconic structures and their connection to people who live in the region. There was a time when Buffalo's Main Street was the focus of holiday shopping in Western New York. Watch Remembering Western New York now on YouTube. Are you looking for a rewarding career in public media? Visit WNED.org careers to learn more about becoming a part of a talented team dedicated to making a difference in our communities. Employees at Buffalo Toronto Public Media enjoy a variety of outstanding benefits. We are located in downtown Buffalo and we have free parking. We are focused on inclusivity and belonging. Come as you are and apply today. Visit WNED.org careers. Buffalo Toronto Public Media's unique and valued programming on WNED-PBS, WNED-Classical, and WBFO make us a perfect partner for any company interested in making a real difference in our community. Your support has the power to associate your business with one of the most trusted brands in North America. Call me, Sylvia Bennett, to find out how you can make a difference. 716-845-7005. Watch Buffalo's Voices of Steel on YouTube. The original WNED-PBS production captures the legacy of the steel industry in western New York through the voices of the people who worked in the mills. Anybody who never saw the steel plant in operation 
miss something. I always told my kids that they really missed to see what it was like to make steel. Through remembrances of the workers, Buffalo's Voices of Steel showcases the pride Western New York still feels about its steel producing past. Watch it now on the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. I uh, wanted to get into that a little bit. I uh, want to also reset here. This is Taria Parson and with me uh, this morning, the founder of the Western New York Education Alliance. We're talking about the science of reading. Um, different districts. You're talking about New York City. So districts inside New York State can deploy this science of reading curriculum. I'll just use that term. New York City, you say, is embracing this? Yes, that's right. So they have a new mayor, um, Mayor Adams and Chancellor David C. Banks. And Mayor Adams is dyslexic. Okay, so he he knows from where he's coming from and he's made it a priority to make sure that kids are taught explicitly and directly in science aligned curriculum and instruction, but also to make sure that dyslexic kids are reached, that they are diagnosed and taught. So it's, it's really interesting. They're going to be implementing this in the fall and all eyes are watching. But it's, it's good news. Certainly is another district that uh, caught my uh, eye when we were talking a little bit. Um, the Baltimore public schools are employing a program, Wit and Wisdom. Again, this is coming from this concept of science of reading. How can we differentiate that? What, what do we understand about it? Well, what's interesting with Baltimore Public Schools and their superintendent tenant is Sonia Santelis, which she is fantastic. And she wanted to tackle literacy head on. And she felt that by implementing um, knowledge-rich content and curriculum would be the best way, along with teacher training and instruction. So she's implemented a curriculum called Wit and Wisdom. I can't really speak to it exactly, but I've heard it is very highly rated. It is fantastic. And it's also culturally relevant to the kids. You know, I think one of the myths, um, there's so many myths about science of reading, which I'd love to tackle too. But one of them is that it's not culturally responsive, which is untrue. You know, absolutely untrue. There are so many things about it which teaches kids about their own history and where they can see themselves in the curriculum and in the instruction, which is so important, as we know. Yeah, that, that's something that's really come out of uh, the programs that we've had. One thing that we're hearing about is just the idea that so many black people are dealing with the concept that there's a everything that they're taught, everything that is is passed along comes from a perspective of white supremacy and that they are left out right off the bat on so many levels of, of conversation. It's interesting that you were telling me also about this, uh, I think it was a barbershop in Brooklyn yes. that is trying to do the same type of thing, to, to present culturally relevant uh, uh, reading opportunities for their, their patrons. Absolutely. You know, and this really goes back to literacy is all about everyone. It's about the partners. It's about the community. It's about families. It's about businesses. You name it, literacy needs to be on everyone's tongue. But 
in terms of the barbershops, it's fantastic. Um, the barbershop in Brooklyn has its own literacy hub, and it's full of decodable books, which is um, aligned with science. And I know some people are, are asking, what are decodable books? But they're ways in which teach children explicitly and directly how to read, um, but, but that are culturally relevant as well. And I know there's barbershop books in Buffalo as well. We're reaching out to them. But there are places that you can uh, access with in the community that you can turn into literacy hubs, which is fantastic. And one of your partners uh, is uh, uh, of the Education Alliance is actually they train uh, their tutors, for lack of a term, they're getting into with the Head Start programs, things like that. Yes, absolutely. On the Literacy Initiative, we have Read to Succeed Buffalo. They are doing fantastic work. They work within Buffalo Public Schools, and they're specifically looking at the K through three levels, as we we're talking about with the neural pathways about getting kids to read in those early ages. And they're doing high-impact uh, science-aligned tutoring um, through their AARP program where they, they have volunteers. So the volunteers are specifically trained by these literacy specialists, which is fantastic. But also they're working with Head Start and pre-K programs to make sure that in pre-K, when these little ones are just starting out reading, how can we reach them in the best, most effective way that's aligned with science? What about enjoyment of reading when it comes to it? Uh, Obviously, if you're a better reader, you're probably going to enjoy it a little bit more. But do we find a correlation between just the types of kids who seem to embrace reading right from the start? Do we have an understanding of that? I'm so glad you asked about that because that is also one of the myths of the science of reading is that it is joyless. <laughs> they, they talk about phonics and they talk about drill and kill and how you're just drilling, drilling phonics into them. Um, and you know what? That is simply not true. Um, balanced literacy, I saw this the other day and it was a great quote, balanced literacy does not have, does not contain all the joy, does not own the joy. The joy can be found everywhere, especially when you're given the keys to to unlock reading. Um, and, you know, really, the joy of reading is is brought by the teacher as well, you know, to instill and infuse that in their classrooms. Um, but we have to remember that the one-third of kids who will learn how to read no matter what type of instruction they're, they're using, um, science of reading or, or curriculum and instruction that is aligned with research does not hold them back. It does not hurt them in any way. Um, they are taught to read and they're brought up just as everyone else. And, you know, that really is what equity is all about. If we're going to actually walk the walk here, we talk about really wanting to have equity. But if you're only reaching one third of students, that is not equity. You know, if we have access to programs and instruction and curriculum that can reach everyone and that is truly equitable, then that is what we must be doing. What about social economic factors when it comes to reading? What do we understand about that? Interestingly enough, the science has shown, the National Institute of Health has come out with the fact that 95% of all children can learn how to read, despite socioeconomic background, despite how they're brought up, where they're raised, who they are. There are 5% who, you know, with severe cognitive delays, who will have trouble, but 95%. That's all kids essentially can learn how to read. But, of course, there are factors holding them back, especially, you know, if we could talk about the knowledge gap, I'm happy to Sure. That well. Expand on it, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, there's uh, an author named Natalie Wexler. She's written a book called The Knowledge Gap. But it's basically talking about the achievement gap, which is, you know, if we're talking about the Matthew effect, like in the Bible, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, the same thing is going on in education and with literacy. The good readers continue to excel and the poor readers are left down where they are, in fact, 
even declining. Um, so if we could um, look more closely at that, you know, in terms of um, the Matthew effect and um, gosh, you know what? I totally forgot where I was going. Sure. Well, we were talking about the, the knowledge gap. And I, <laughs> well, the I, knowledge gap. Natalie Wexler. Yeah. Knowledge is so important. Um, you know, a lot of these kids do not have the background knowledge needed to comprehend what they're reading. So, for instance, let me expand on that for a little bit in terms of field trips, going on family vacations. Maybe their dad is an engineer at Moog and, and they have conversations about science at night. That all contributes to background knowledge that you're going to use to access and understand the books that you're reading, right? Now, a lot of these kids who are in high poverty at risk areas will not have that background knowledge, okay? But again, when it comes back to equity, schools can fulfill that. Schools can give background knowledge through content-rich curriculum and be providing that. And, you know, I was reading in Natalie Wexler's book, she was talking about curriculum that engages the kids with ancient Mesopotamia. They're talking about ancient Egypt. They're giving the kids all this knowledge. And for the kids who might not necessarily um, be suffering from a knowledge gap, they're just as fascinated and interested in all this stuff as well. But um, we've got we've to close the knowledge gap as well. That's just – that's part of the thread of Scarborough's rope too, like in terms of creating a skilled reader by weaving all the elements together. That's crucial as well. Interesting uh, that uh, you, we, one of our previous guests on this show, one of our first guests was uh, Sam Radford, as a matter of fact, from uh, We the Parents here in the city of Buffalo. If you listen to WBFO or pretty much any news station, you're probably familiar with hearing from Sam in some regards. He's most certainly a, a, a vocal proponent and critic of uh, the education system. Uh, talk about uh, how you've been uh, um, working with Sam. Sam has been fantastic, and uh, he has been working with uh, the Western New York Education Alliance for quite a while on various initiatives. He, His organization, We the Parents, is a partner on the Literacy Initiative, and he has been right there with us every step of the way in terms of looking at the research behind Science of Reading, looking at what New York City is doing. Um, for his show, he brought in Dr. Tracy Whedon, and she is also a partner on the initiative with the Nighthouse Education Center. They are based in Texas, but they do literacy work nationwide. And he brought in Dr. Whedon for his radio show, and we were talking about that, and it was fantastic. But come September, which is Literacy Month, we are going to um, be doing – something literacy related, you know, pretty much every week that month. And we're going to have a Buffalo March for Literacy Saturday, September 24th. And we're going to bring in Dr. Whedon. We're going to bring in Dr. Maria Murray of the Reading League in Syracuse. And I'm sure we're going to have a lot of other speakers. It's going to be amazing. You know, it's interesting, uh, uh, as you were talking about Sam Radford, uh, some of the the, the comments that I've heard from him through through the years is very powerful comments. But he he would talk about, he sounded like he spent as much time as he possibly could in his kids' schools and how in one classroom there would be, I won't use the necessary word chaos, but a struggling learning environment. Mm-hmm. In another classroom, it would not be like that. It would be something that was functioning and functioning at a high level. Mm-hmm. So much of that, I guess, about the teacher. Mm-hmm. What, what about teachers? Uh, and when, it, when we get to it, I mean, I know teachers, I know lots of teachers, and all of them have the, the same good heart when it comes to this, the same good intentions, but yet the results aren't always there. What about that? What do you find? Right. Well, you know, it is it is a little bit, as I was saying before, about the Wild West out there. You know, everyone seems to be doing something different and implementing different approaches. But you're right. Teachers at the end of the day want to 
do right by their students and they want improved reading outcomes. And so many of them have expressed interest in um, how can aligning with science and research help do that. And so we we literally will bring in the educators in October for free. The, the conference will be at no cost to them to provide them with an opportunity to come together and speak to themselves, speak amongst each other, and learn from the best speakers in the nation. Um, we actually have booked Natalie Wexler. I have not press released this or announced it anywhere else. So dun, dun, dun. It's, uh, Natalie Wexler will be speaking. Um, she wrote The Knowledge Gap. But we're going to have amazing speakers. And I think Dr. Tracy Whedon will be there as well. But teachers need to be supported by their principals and by their superintendents and by their administration. And if there's going to be teacher training, uh, there also needs to be principal and admin training as well. They need to know what's going on. This is what I've been hearing from all the educators. I'm not an educator myself, but from what I've been hearing from everyone is that they want the support from their principals and from their administration in their efforts. And maybe I was burying the lead here a little bit now as we're talking. I'm, maybe I'm coming to it, but let's talk about then the structure of schools. You're talking about principals and administrators, and you know, I went to... Uh, uh, a couple of ceremonies for my uh, goddaughter's uh, graduation in the last couple of weeks, and I saw a principal who was very much in control or showed that he was in control, but you could tell he was he is d- juggling chainsaws, trying to keep up to date with everything that he has to do. Um, then you go into the classroom. Not every classroom has aides. How m- many more people do we need, whether it's, like you said, a principal who can buy into the science of reading and be trained, or just having administrators that also are on that, do we need more people in these schools? Do we need more personnel to make sure that, like you said, this reading gap that is existing, it's been here for a while. That's right. The science is one thing, but it also sounds to me like we need more people. And and you could be very right about that. In ter- and, you know, first, let me let me give a shout out to the schools, to the teachers, to the principals, to the administrators, because over the past two years, you're right, they have been put through the ringer trying to keep up with public health on top of education. Um, so, uh, yes, trying to keep up with everything, which is why we're also going to offer, and I have not publicly announced this um, before, but we will off- be offering an Administrator's Day, a virtual Administrator's Day just for superintendents and their administration with regards to the science of reading. We're going to be bringing in an amazing speaker for that. Um, but we want to make sure that that we're not just reaching the teachers, but that we're reaching the administrators as well so that they fully understand what's going on. And in terms of COVID relief money, um, in terms of hiring more people and and what to focus on, I've talked to a number of superintendents who've expressed that their main priority right now is mental health, which I get. You know, student mental health, we, we all have to acknowledge that there is a teen mental health crisis and a child mental health crisis right now. And it is, it is bad. It is really bad. Um, but mental health goes hand in hand with literacy. It can't be either or. It has to be both and. And that in terms of trauma, in terms of the shame that you feel if you cannot read and how that compounds over time to lifelong outcomes, um, which, of course, is connected to mental health, we've got to tackle everything at once. Um, and uh, I, I do believe that COVID relief money, while while schools are flush with it, are being used um, before it dries up to in the best, most efficient ways, especially as it relates to investing in teachers and administrators in terms of the science-aligned um, curriculum and the instruction and the training. I'm Tarya Parson, and we're coming down to our, our final uh, moment here, and it seems like 
every question I had I ask at the end of a program comes to the same thing. Hope. Do you have hope for this? Do you have hope that that in five years from now that we're going to be talking about greater uh, literacy results in Buffalo and in New York State? Absolutely. I have hope. You always have to have hope. And I, my mission, and I know that the mission of every single one of our 12 partners is that Buffalo and Western New York will be the most literate region in New York State. And I don't think that's crazy to put that out there. I think it's something amazing to strive for. And I know that we all want that for our children. And that will do it for today's Summertime Producer Pick episode. We would like to thank our guests, Deidre ML and Taria Parsonen. If you miss anything, you'd like to hear it again. A reminder that this program is a podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts or the new Amplified BTPM app. And each episode is available online on demand at WBFO.org. This is WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WBJ Jamestown, your NPR station. This is Charles Gilbert. Thanks for listening.